All right. Are we good? Great. I know we, uh, we, spent, a little, we spent a little more time this morning worshiping, uh, a little more time dealing with the technology and all that kind of stuff. Um, I am not cutting the sermon, so settle in. Uh, all right, so good. <laughs> so good morning, good morning, brothers and sisters. Today, today we're returning to the Book of Acts, but we're not discarding the joy of Resurrection Sunday. As a as, as a matter of fact, the book the Book of Acts exists explicitly because of Resurrection Sunday. That the that the Son of God died and was raised in order to ascend, so that He could send His Holy Spirit to continue His work. And he now continues that work through us, the church. Are we good? Are we good? Cool. All right. So we'll make sure. We'll make sure. All right. But there have been and continue to be obstacles to that work. And so we're going to focus today on two of, the most, two of the most significant obstacles to the work of Christ. And those obstacles are you and demons. Now, now, by, now by you, I mean, I, I mean all of us. I mean all of us and our sinfulness. But I'm going to talk specifically about one sin that, that, we don't, that we don't often understand or talk about. And then by demons, I mean demons, evil spiritual beings that, that exercise influence in the world in which we live. And, w- and when we read this account of possession in Acts 19, I don't want us to use the time gap between us and the apostles as a way to shield us from the discomfort of this text. But I do want us to know that however powerful demonic forces are, they do not compare to the power of the name of Jesus. But it's not just about you forming those words in your mouth. So, so, the, so the title of today's sermon is a little bit unorthodox, not in the heretical sense, but just like, <laughs> you get it. It's, it's, my, it's, my, it's my paraphrase of the words of the demon in Acts 19.15. And those words are, in a nutshell, game recognizes game. Please stand for the reading of God's word. We're in Acts 19, verses 11 to 20. I'll read it. You can do it. Hey, church. It's Andrea. We are reading Acts 19, 11 through 20, and I will read it to you in Spanish. Dios hacía milagros extraordinarios por medio de Pablo, a tal grado que a los enfermos le llevaban pañuelos y delantales que habían tocado el cuerpo de Pablo y quedaban sanos de sus enfermedades y los espíritus malignos salían de ellos. Algunos judíos que andaban expulsando espíritus malignos intentaron invocar sobre los endemoniados el nombre del Señor Jesús. Decían, en el nombre de Jesús, a quien Pablo predica, les ordeno que salgan. Esto lo hacían siete hijos de un tal Eseba, que era uno de los jefes de los sacerdotes judíos. Un día, el espíritu maligno le replicó, Conozco a Jesús y sé quién es Pablo, pero ustedes, ¿quiénes son? Y abalanzándose sobre ellos, el hombre que tenía el espíritu maligno los dominó a todos. Los maltrató con tanta violencia que huyeron de la casa desnudos y heridos. Cuando se enteraron los judíos y los griegos que vivían en Éfeso, el temor se apoderó de todos ellos, y el nombre del Señor Jesús era glorificado. Muchos de los que, iban, de los que habían creído llegaban ahora y confesaban públicamente sus prácticas malvadas. Un buen número de los que practicaban la hechicería juntaron sus libros en un montón y los quemaron delante de todo. Cuando calcularon el precio de aquellos libros, resultó un total de 50,000 monedas de plata. Así la palabra del Señor crecía y se difundía con poder arrollador. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather even virtually under the authority of your word. Lord, I pray that as I preach this morning, Lord, that, the, that, the, that, that those listening would hear, would hear you. Lord, move, move me out of the way, uh, Lord, and, 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 sh- and shape your people with your word. And Lord, may your, may, your, may your name be glorified in the midst of this sermon. I pray these things in the name of your Son and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. All right, so the, so the last time we caught up, we caught up with Paul. He's in, he's in Ephesus. And so we're told at the beginning of Acts that Jesus called his apostles to take the gospel to Judea, to Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And so we're getting deeper into that ends of the earth part of that command. And so Ephesus, as the capital of the Roman province of Asia, was a cultural hub. But it's also a religious hub. And I, uh, a few years ago, I had, I had an opportunity to go to, go to Rome. And, and I got a feel of just the grandeur of that, of that kind of place. To walk into a place and to be overwhelmed with your surroundings is a deeply, it's a deeply affecting experience. And for me, it was, it was walking into the St. John Lateran Archbasilica, the oldest church in Europe. And walking into that cathedral is it's, it's an experience. You walk in and you're flanked on both sides with these giant, beautiful stone statues of the apostles. And these things are huge. Like, it's beautiful. It, it's, it, it was amazing. I thought after walking in, how in the world am I going to go back to church back in the States when I don't have giant statues of the apostles around me? Um, and, if you can, and if you can imagine that, that's the kind of feeling that you would have gotten if you walked into the building that was Ephesus's claim to fame the Temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the world. And according to the guy who described those seven wonders in the second century BC, the greatest architectural wonder of them all. And so that's the kind of place that we're talking about when we're talking about, emphasis, when we're talking about Ephesus. We're not talking about a place where, where, uh, where, where Jesus is extolled. We're talking about a place where these pagan gods are extolled. That's the kind of religious and spiritual power that Paul came into contact with when he brought the gospel to Ephesus. And that's the level of opposition that he faced when he got there. Take a a look at verse 11. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that that touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, in those verses, we have both good and not so good news. First of all, God's, God's healing people. And this, and this healing is a testimony to God's grace. It's a physical sign of the spiritual healing that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts through the gospel. It shows God's care for his people. And so it's worth rejoicing over. But this is also a case of superstition and God working despite that superstition. Note, note, note that the image is that the equivalent of Paul's like sweat rags and paint clothes were carried around by people and people were healed as a result. We, we've seen this kind of thing before. When, 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 the, when the woman with the issue of blood approached Jesus and touched the hem of his robe, she was healed. Christ is so holy that holiness and power go out from him. And Paul, as a bearer of the gospel, had, according to this passage, that same power by the Holy Spirit. But there were people then, as there are people now, who want to exploit that power for their own gain. In verse 13, those folks are traveling Jewish exorcists. 
And look at what the verse says. Some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now, before we get into what happens to these folks, I want to name the sin that they're committing. This is a breaking of the third commandment in which God says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Chances are this is the commandment you think about the least. I know that's the, I know that's the case for me. But, but do we consider the fact that, that in the first line of the Lord's prayer, it's precisely, against, it, it's precisely against this commandment. Jesus says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's a prayer that God would make his name holy. But what does that mean? What does it mean to take someone's name in vain? Well, to take someone's name in vain means to treat their name as empty. In the case of God, it means treating his name as having less than the ultimate value that it has. Here's, here's an example to help, you, to, help you, to, to help you kind of visualize it. So let's say that a good friend of mine uh, and I have a, have a falling out. Let's call this friend Slim. And so, and so Slim and I have, have a fight to the point that we're not talking. Let's say that I, I stole some Arizona iced tea from him and he won't forgive me. All right? So we're, so we're fighting. All right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. For years, our families have been going on trips to Six Flags together. We get, the, we get these family passes for all of us together, but Slim's the one who normally buys them. Now, I, even though we're fighting, I really, really want to go to Six Flags with my family. So what do I do? Well, I just get the tickets in his name and go anyway. Now, first of all, this is a crime because it's fraud. <laughs> but, it's also, but it's also deeply offensive to Slim. Why? Because I have, by that action, shown him that I care more about Six Flags than I do about my relationship with him. In other words, I want the benefits of association without the difficulty of relationship. I want the benefits of association without the difficulty of relationship. And so you know how, how, we, how, we, how we do that with the Lord? When we, when we claim that we're doing something that God wants us to do, when we claim that God is calling us to do it, when it's really just something that we want to do, it's okay to say that you want to do something. It's okay to say that you want to take a particular job or make a particular decision, but be careful before you put the Lord's name on it. Because, because none of us wants to treat the Lord and his name as just a means to an end, whether that end is, is my comfort or my power or something else. The fact of the matter is the Lord can use you where you are and he'll place you where he needs you to be. And sometimes you can't see it until long afterwards. But, but this is what the sons of Sceva are doing. They want the power of God without a relationship with him. And so when they say the name of Jesus, they're not saying the name of someone they trust. They're saying the name of someone who they heard could get them what they want. There's another real-life situation in which this same sin rears its ugly head. And it's done so in a way that's gone, that's gone viral in the last few weeks. As we've been in lockdown because of that Rona, some, some, in, the world, some in the world have claimed that Jesus has given them power over the virus. So a pastor in Virginia, Bishop, Bishop Gerald Glenn, died a little over a week ago from the virus, soon after still conducting in-person services. A Florida megachurch pastor, Rodney Howard Brown, defied social, social distancing orders and claimed that he had some special air conditioning that zapped viruses once people sneezed or coughed. 
but most egregious, and I was gonna show you this video. It's and wherever else in the world it's needed. And wherever else in the world it's needed. When, when a mighty, mighty strong, strong south wind, south wind heat, heat burn this thing. Burn this thing. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Satan, you bow your knee. Satan, you bow your knee. You fall on your face. You fall on your face. COVID-19. COVID-19. I blow the wind of God. The wind of God. On you. On you. You are destroyed forever. You are, you are destroyed, destroyed forever. And you will never be back. And, and you'll, you'll never, never be back. Thank you, our God. Thank, Thank you, our God. God. Let it happen. Let it happen. Let it Cause it to happen. Cause it to happen. How ought we think of these things? First, brothers and sisters, know that yes, the Lord is more powerful than a virus, but there's no immediate application to that statement. To go from that statement to saying, yeah, you can go out in public and live as though life is normal and you'll be fine, is not only foolish, but it's unloving to your neighbor. As we know of many cases of people spreading this disease because they're asymptomatic. So do not take the name of the Savior in vain, claiming that he will do things when you are at best guessing. I can guarantee one thing, you blowing ain't gonna do nothing to a worldwide pandemic. And since that prayer, I don't think the virus went away. There's a name, there's a name for people who do such things. The scriptures call them false prophets and the scriptures do not look kindly upon such people. As a matter of fact, this text in Acts doesn't look kindly upon such people. Take a look at what happens to the sons of Sceva in verse, in, in verse 15. So, so they think that Jesus' name is some kind of magic hocus pocus that drives out demons. And so they try to cast out this demon by saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. But look at verse 15. The, the evil spirit answers them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? In other words, as was said one time on the boondocks, game recognizes game, and you're looking real unfamiliar right now. <laughs> power recognizes power. And you coming up against demonic forces unarmed is like you being a three-year-old going up against Steph Curry in a three-point contest. You're not going to win. And demons will laugh at you and slap the taste out your mouth like they did to the sons of Sceva. Verse 16. The man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This demon embarrassed the sons of Sceva, leaving them naked, bleeding, and afraid. And so how can you, end, how can you avoid end up ending up in such a way? You'll remember at the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned that there are two big obstacles to the work of God in this passage, your, your sin and, and demons. In considering your sin, there's taking the name of the Lord in vain, of which an example is false prophecy, claiming that God has said something that he has not said. But then there are demons. And do you even face demonic opposition? Brothers and sisters, I submit to you that you do. And I say this with the utmost seriousness. 
few examples. One, uh, my, my, my brother and sister-in-law are, uh, are musicians. And in the circles in which they find themselves, they've, they've encountered the occult in a number of different contexts. Meeting witches, knowing people who have books of black magic, so on. But the common denominator is power. That people want to tap into powerful things to attain their own goals. Often without understanding really what they're doing. One example. Example two is racial violence. When you look throughout particularly American history, you see racism, a sin that is ultimately rooted in greed, pop up all throughout. Slavery, lynching, redlining, Jim Crow, church bombings, church shootings, church burnings, the list, go, the list goes on. We even see it now that in the midst of a, in the midst of a pandemic, we, we, we note that, 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 that African-American folks are dying, are, are, are dying in greater numbers because of the systemic pressure that they're under. We see this being used to, we, we see this being used to insult and demean our Asian brothers and sisters. Racism is the kind of thing that when you try to deal with it in one iteration, it just pops up in other ones. It's like, it's like a game of whack-a-mole. And that's a perfect example of how the demonic works. Yeah, humans are involved, of course, and they're the primary visible agents. But the continuity of sin and the growing ingenuity when it comes to ways to commit it owes itself to minds that are slightly more complex than ours. Example three, and this is a little more mundane. Do any of you have voices in your head, not, necess not necessarily always literal, literal voices, but, but, but you understand what I mean, that constantly tell you that you're not good enough, that you don't work hard enough, that after what you did last night, God, God could never love you, that you'll never shake the draw of pornography, that you'll never look at the good of your neighbor and celebrate it rather than be overwhelmed with envy? that voice that tells you to drown your sorrows in alcohol and drugs, the, those, the, those voices that may at times tell you that life isn't worth living, that it's all too hard. Now that you're alone more in the midst of this pandemic, those voices may be getting louder. Now, mental illness is very much a thing, but so are demons. And this is actually one of the favorite tools of the demonic. It's why Satan is referred to as the adversary and the accuser of the brethren. In Revelation, because that's his role, and that's who our battle is against. As much as it may be clear to you that your enemies are other people, or perhaps yourself, as much as it may be clear to you that it's what your mom or dad said or did, or what your employer said or did, or what your spouse said or did, we're told in the scriptures that they're not our enemies. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the, in the heavenly places. Those demonic rulers, authorities, powers, and forces are the ones armed against you, and they use the evil of human beings to press their goals forward. So hopefully I've at least opened your minds to the possibility that you could be under demonic attack. But then what is the remedy? How has God provided for you in the midst of that attack? How can you, as Paul encourages in, in Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might? The answer, according to Acts 19:11 to 20, is the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus? You, you crazy, you crazy, Malcolm. How's a, how's a name supposed to help me? I'm so glad you asked, imaginary person that I'm speaking to. Take a look at verse 17. 
And I just want to read, read to the end because it, it's just four great verses of good news. And this, that is the sons of Sceva getting beaten up and stripped, became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Interesting. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now, if you read that closely, those are some very, very strange verses. Because it never explicitly says that the gospel is preached, but it says that in verse 17, that, that the people were afraid and that the name of the Lord Jesus was, in, was, was extolled. It was praised, magnified, enlarged. See, in this time, papyri, or these, these scrolls would circulate that had divine names that exorcists would use to cast out demons. You just try a bunch of names, whatever the demon responds to, you just claim victory. This incident makes clear that this Jesus is not just another name to add to the list. Because it's only with Jesus, the son of the living God, that the words of a demon could ultimately be used for the glory of God. Look, the evil, the evil spirit said, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? This spirit is basically saying, look, look, I know Jesus really well, intimately, and I hate the guy. He's, the, he's my most profound enemy. He and, me, he and his holiness stands against everything that I am. And he poured himself out to beat me. And Paul, I hate him just as much since he's been joined to Jesus by this Holy Spirit. Shoot, I, I can't even be around a sweat rag that Paul used. But you? Sons of Skeet, you? You think that some random dude could just come in and tell me what to do? Do you know who you're messing with? And then this demon proceeds to smack the taste out of these exorcist mouths. Why? Because if you do not know the Lord, if you have not actually placed your faith and trust in him, you can say his name, you can do marvelous works in his name, but when you stand before him in judgment, he will, he will have similar words for you. As a matter of fact, he says so in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now that's a terrifying word, but it must sober us because it's not enough to just say the name of Jesus, Lord, Lord, as this sign of feigned intimacy. It's not enough to prophesy in his name, to cast out demons in his name, or perform miracles in his name. Because if that's all we do, we're actually evacuating the worth of the name of God. We can't wave our hands over COVID-19 and just say, be gone in Jesus' name, and act as though that's some great sign of faithfulness and power. Brothers and sisters, the name of Jesus is shorthand for his person himself. Because God associates himself strongly with his name. His name is something to be believed in and to be trusted in. Because he bet everything on his good name. When he swore to Abraham that he would make him a great nation, he swore on his name. 
Now, where did he do this? You might, you might, uh, you might look back at the text and think, "Hey, I, I don't see, I don't see that, I don't see that in the, I don't see that in the text." Well, let me let me give you a little point of biblical interpretation that's important for when you read for when you read the scriptures. Whenever you see the word "surely" in your Bibles, you're seeing an oath, you're seeing a promise. Remember in the garden when, when God told Adam that if he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in the day that he ate of it, he would surely die? It's translated like dying he will die. But what it is, is it, it's, it, it's him saying, you're definitely going to die. I promise it on my name. And so also the author of Hebrews notes God's promise to Abraham in Hebrews 6.13. The author says this, when, when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you, excuse me, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. Brothers and sisters, God's covenant of grace, his promise to save his people, rests upon his name. And God cannot and will not lie. His mercy and his grace were even present in the beginning. Because remember, he promised that we would die when we ate of the fruit. And we did die. Our communion with God was broken. But we weren't wiped off of the face of the earth. In the midst of our rebellion, he still clothed us. In the midst of our rebellion, he promised a savior who, wouldn't who didn't just restore communion with God, but a, but a savior who would inaugurate a communion that's closer than any of us human beings have, have ever experienced before. And as the author of Hebrews says, because God has promised salvation and because he's done so in his own name, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What's going on there? The son of God took on flesh for the glory of the name of God in order to fulfill the plan of salvation that had been prophesied about. He, he became a baby, was nursed by his mother, grew up under Mary and Joseph's parenting, and embarked on a ministry that would change the world. But, but he didn't just preach. He didn't just heal. He didn't just cast out demons, heal the lame and the blind, multiply fish and loaves, and walk on water. No, no, no. This, this man, the, the eternal son of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be selfishly held on to. He, he emptied himself by, by taking the form of a servant. He, he humbled, humiliated himself by becoming obedient. He, the one who wielded all power, became obedient, even to the point of death. And not just any death, even death on a cross. But that wasn't the end of the story. No, 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 because, because the Father didn't leave him in the grave. Just because Resurrection Sunday was last Sunday doesn't mean that today isn't also a Resurrection Sunday. Because, because he got up, as the songwriter says, with all power in his hands. And that still isn't it. Because Philippians, in, in Philippians 2.9, Paul goes on and he reminds us that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name. What name? The name that is above every name. What's that name for, Paul? So that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
the day is coming when every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. And the question is whether you will do so with joy in union with the Son or whether you will do so under the conquering boot of the risen Savior. The triune God is faithful to his covenant because he has promised it in his own name. And that is a promise that is sealed by the precious blood of Christ and it's applied to us by the great gift of the Holy Spirit. And so then how does that look? Well, what did the believers do in Acts 19? It says those who practiced magic arts burned their books. Now, we don't really know exactly how much 50,000 pieces of silver is, but, but we do know that that's a pretty significant chunk of change. And when the name of Christ is truly extolled, when the Holy Spirit is really at work, lives are changed. Remember in Egypt, when, 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 the, when the plagues are visited upon, upon, upon the Egyptians, the magicians can actually, like they can actually do some of those things. The magicians could turn the water into blood. They, they could also bring the frogs up on dry land, but they couldn't perform those other signs. So do not be deceived by counterfeit claims to spiritual authority. There is only one name by which you can be saved. There's only one person who can actually change your life. There's only one person who can melt your heart to repentance and open you up to the joys of salvation. His name is Jesus. Repent and believe the gospel, dear brother and dear sister. Place your trust in the one who lived and died for you. The one who lived and died to destroy the works of the devil and to save you from the fear of death. Arm yourself with the armor of the living God so that we can see what the church saw at the end of verse 20. So that the word of the Lord can continue to increase and prevail mightily. Build one another up toward Christ, knowing that the way that the Lord will see, the way that the world will see the victory of the word of the Lord is by seeing him work in you. Miracles are nice. But the miracle of a heart that was once hardened to the Lord being softened to the point of reverent kneeling, that's a work worthy of the name of Jesus. That's what it means to seek that God's name be hallowed. That's what it means not to take his name in vain. Remember that it is the name by which you are saved. And if you're not going to use his name with the reverence that it's due, Keep it out your mouth or get the taste slapped out of it. <laughs> Amen? Let's, let, let's pray.